Westwood One Podcast Network. You ever think about quitting? It's the combat of life, hammering the snot out of you. Well, stand by, dig in deep, and get ready to get fired up with us. Welcome to the Team Never Quit Podcast, the number one podcast that inspires you to fight on. I'm your host, David Rutt Rutherford, here with Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell. Our mission is to help you embrace the suck of life, to teach you the values of working your ass off. And to interview the most hard-charging people on planet Earth. We know life is hard. It's time for you to suck it up, Buttercup, and let us teach you to persevere in every environment imaginable by sharing real-world lessons learned by those who never quit. That's right. It's time, Marcus, for us to help them defeat the well, negative insurgency up, in their lives. You fire me up, Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's roll. Let's roll. I thought you were going to go through the whole thing, the whole one. No. What was the lead up? Do you remember? Who cares, right? It was just, the, do you believe in miracles? That's it. It was a countdown. Oh, my God. It was a countdown. Ten. It's going to happen. Nine. I can't believe it. Believe They're this? passing about seven, six. Oh, my God. This is going to happen. Five, four, three. Do you believe in miracles? One. Bob. The nation. The he's, world. He started rolling it almost with. 23 seconds, right? There was a big one in the, the hold, right? It was almost a breath hold, dude. Even in the in the movie, just... Bro, they got a couple shots on yeah. Craig, Oh, yeah, dude. man, they blew down there. Dude, I'm <laughs> telling you what. I cannot speak enough of the impact of this sporting event. Yeah, there is a couple of them that it doesn't matter what time. When you watch it, even if you're not into the sport, Bro. it turns into an American thing. Bro, I... I I'm telling you what, you guys laughed at me before when I talked about Bruce Jenner and Caitlyn Jenner. I don't know how to describe that now. <laughs> Bruce Jenner, and God bless you, Caitlyn. I hope you're happy and living life as you want to be, and you're free. I-, I love you for it, all right? But, you know. He was when- awesome. Dude, he was the Wheaties. He was I the mean, Wheaties right? guy, bro. And I, dude, I wanted to be a decathlete. Yeah, uh, I'm a Jenner fan. Yeah, are you? Yep. Thank you. Am, well, you you know you also talked about who else? Uh, who are the two dudes? Oh, Dave and Dan. Dave and Dan. Yeah. <laughs> they were on. <laughs> Carl Lewis. Oh, 1984, uh, bro. Who else? Johnson. Yeah, ben Johnson, Canadian illegal steroids. Uh, what else? What are some other terrible? great ones? Huh? Isn't that terrible? I mean, went disgusting. through all that. That's all. Every time you say say his name, that's saying everyone. You know, that's what comes up with it. All that hard work, all that talent, running in the Olympics, man. Yeah, that's what happens. It's what yeah, happens. Right? When it's, you it's, cheat, nah, though. The Lance Armstrong. Yeah. All just tarnished. It's listen. You know, dude. We talk about this all the time. A thousand out of boys are gone to hell with one off shit. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Damn it. If you are turning in for this special edition, Olympic edition, although we're not anywhere near the Olympics, this special like Olympic Christmas edition, edition team never, I, I just like Spain. Did you watch Phelps swim, uh, try to swim that shark? No. Shark Week? I, I No. You didn't watch Shark Week? No. You're from Florida, aren't you? That's why I don't watch Shark Week. 
I'm in the water a lot. You know, more more shark attacks happen yeah. from Vero Beach to Miami Full than sharks, anywhere. Right? Yeah, they tell you guys, I tell you all that stuff. Oh, know. dude, it's bad. It's <laughs> like, I heard right? that was a huge disappointment. It was a computer generated shark, and it built it up as though he was actually going to swim against the shark, oh. which is so absurd. Oh. I can't believe someone would think that that's even a contest. It's like can. Can can uh, uh, that hurts my feelings? I thought he was going to race the shark. Can Usain Bolt outrun a lightning bolt. That's just idiotic. Wow, that's that's right. although right. last race, yeah. his last race, he pulled up lame. Just happened a couple days ago. He he, he had a, a pull. Uh, age, age now, man. Age. That's, that's he ain't no, he ain't yeah, no sunshine. But he has won. Let's go back to greatness, Olympic greatness, right? And else, that's what we're else, talking, man. I, you're right. We know because being in the water ain't no way in hell you're out swimming a great white shark. <laughs> oh. Trust me, oh. we try. I tried every time I got in the water. I was like, kicking son of a bitch. You, you don't even know what I do love I him, think right? you do love him. Like a hidden kind of. We ought to get a tank out here and just put one in put there as a pet. Yeah, yeah. And like you try and calm it and all that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. Now for one of our sponsors, Marcus, one of the most powerful thing that you remember from downrange. The what? The lack of quality of... Oh, sleep? <laughs> How many hell holes did you sleep in? How many times did well, you find I, I, yourself you got, in the dirt? Find a pillow, roll you know, wherever you can. But, um, oh, that's huge. You forgo that. And I tell you what, when you, when you get older, get married, and have kids, and like to be comfortable, that's the first thing you want. Is great, great bedding. Well, guess what? Mojo and I, that was the only thing in our house that had to be... Uh, high speed. What's your batting? What's the batting? Had to be yeah, the top of the line <laughs> sheets. We would go all. He and I would go into bed, bath, and beyond. Just me and him with the uh, shopping cart, and literally just find a thousand threads. You know, all that kind of. This is back before we've been out. The bedding is so high. The sleep technology is great, which uh. is great too, because now we're getting to that age where we like to to sleep in a bed with a soft, you know, bedding and pillows and all that. But well, I tell you what, that bolster sleep pillow that I got, and I know you guys were saying you dug it too, man, yeah. is is unbelievable. And the bolster sleep company is dedicated to help you sleep well so you can live life more fully, because that's what we definitely need. We weigh our mission and our business equally. Listen, bolster. Uh, provides premium hybrid mattresses, which combine real springs with mid-layer of cooling foam for a much cooler sleeping experience. Now, I don't know about you all, but when I went to Afghanistan, something bra- broke in my regulator, so I run hot. Do you run hot, bud? Yeah, raise your hand if you have a bed partner that likes several layers of of, oh. of covers and you sweat like a... Oh! Right, I, like, I like it real cold That's in the room. The colder it is outside, I'll even open the door, crank the fire <laughs> up, and it drives Melly crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, my, my lady burns <laughs> hotter than I do, man. Yeah, she's this, hotter than I do, which is the first time in history. This I, whole, like, heat-wicking technology I'm they not put talking about. I'm not talking about those rare critical. meat sweat n- nights where your eyeballs are sweating. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I, yeah. yeah, the regular sweat. <laughs> oh, I know what you're talking Last your night. eyelids are sweating. This is a good one, right? I tell you what, I could have used the bolster mattress last night after the meat sweats I had. All right, bolster, bolster's ten cell fabric wicks away heat it and is moisture. Meat sweat proof. <laughs> it is meat That's sweat the proof. End of the read. Well, individually pocketed coils absorb movement so they can feel people It'll survive getting in the and meat out sweats. of bed. Right? It keeps you cool through the meat sweats. There it <laughs> is, right there. Bolster sleep. <laughs> Technology keeps you cool through the meat sweats. Now, there's another component of this wizard, right? 
that you love most about I do. this country? Made Tell and us. manufactured, not just designed. It is made and manufactured here in the United States. When they came to us and we found that out, that was a distinguishing factor because there were a few people that were thinking about advertising with us in this like this market segment, and and that was a cha- game changer for me. I put a lot of weight in that. I, I, I know you do. And there's another aspect of this country and their mission statement that really hits home for me. And it says, we are passionate about our mission, providing high-quality, hybrid masters, mattresses and bedding so that we can provide scholarships and funding to vocational vocational and technical schools around the world, right? And they do this down in Haiti, man. And I've done missionary work down in Haiti. And I'll tell you what, those people need all the help they can get and bolster which is in the general vicinity of Houston. They're right around here, right near us, man. They are living this mission to the T. Now, here you go. If you make the switch to a restful night's sleep today at bolstersleep.com and use the promo code TNQP, you will get $125 off a mattress or adjustable adjustable bed and it is christmas time and everybody wants a new mattress for christmas i know it everyone again particularly the meats particularly the meats that's bolstersleep.com promo code marcus meat sweats (laughs) (laughs) no promo code t and oh oh, tqp (laughs) promo T-N-Q-P. I thought we were still doing the meat sweats. <laughs> we My just got fired. Time, Promo code TQP and you get that 125 off. All right, let's move on. Are you on. going through withdrawals? Are you suffering from the meat sweats? <laughs> if so. Oh, sweet Jesus. If you are turning it in for this 1980 Olympic special edition of TNQ Podcast, if this is your first time on listening to us, we are Super fired up that you're here. If you want to know more about what we do, who we are, go visit us at tnqpodcast.com. You can see why we're doing it, all the different shows. You can download them off there if you want. On top of that, you can also go to iTunes on any mobile device. You can subscribe to the Team Never Quit podcast. Put us on play, on repeat, have us in your brains, and you will absolutely love it. I'm telling you. You believe me, wizard? Hey, there's no greater drug than radioactive cocaine, and that's what you are, friend. <laughs> radioactive cocaine. How long have you been sitting on that one? That was radioactive good. caffeine. Don't want to make it illegal. Radioactive Certainly, caffeine. Certainly, we don't want it to be illegal. <laughs> it has to be illegal because it can only exist in that if you pass it out, right? That's tight, but I love it. All right, so if you're coming back for more, God bless you, man. We are so fired up. This is going to be a great show for you. You are going to absolutely love it. If you're from my generation, a generation before, then this is going to capture you right in your heart, man, because we have somebody coming on air today. I don't I mean, it's, it's difficult to describe the magnitude of this event in our sporting history, really in the history of our country, as it played out during the Cold War, as it played out you know, during a very trying time in, in history. We had a lot of negativity going on around the world, and the Olympics seemed to hit all that together in this one culminating event of the 1980 Olympic hockey competition, which all came to a head when those young college boys from the USA, 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 
I can't stop myself when I do it. <laughs> you just stood up and you were going to hand dun, over our heart. Oh, when the flags go up and then and then America just leaves them behind, dude. That's my favorite moment. I love that. Purely, it's purely natural, man. When when our country's doing something, like, nothing else matters, right? It doesn't matter where you're from, how much money you got, what color you are, what religion you are. I mean, everything. Everybody's wrapped in their flags. Totally. You know what I'm yeah. And when we win, man. You could have hated the guy next to you for all your life, man. Get in here. We just... I love you, man. <laughs> it's literally one of those where it sucks every one of your emotions in to win. Even the most pacifist, even the preachers, right? Why do you think it does, bro? Because we were we survived with each other. It's kind of like watching them go to war, right? It's, it's the fight. It's the battle. It's all the hard work that all of the collective put in to, to, to prove that we do that. You know, that we... Amen. That we love this. I love That's it. That's what it's kind of all about, right? Totally it's all about that. Well, listen, if you don't really know what we're talking about right now, we're, we're going to get you. That's fine because we haven't told you. Oh, my goodness. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are welcoming to the show the goalie from the U- 1980 Olympic hockey team. Jim Craig to the show. And this guy is, you're going to love him. I mean, he is, he's got so much knowledge, so much depth. I mean, he's really interesting. But what we need to do first, Wizard, is we mm. got to get him up to speed, don't we? Yeah, I think we need to tell this story because you read about this and so many times you're going to hear this is at least the biggest U.S. sporting event of the 20th century. Uh, the greatest upset in sports history. Would you go ahead? I will. I appreciate it. I'm going to use the words here of Evan Andrews. By February 22nd, 1980, the U.S. hockey team had already become the surprise story of the Lake Placid Olympics. They had blazed their way through the early stages of the competition. Coach Herb's Brooks squad was the youngest Olympic team ever fielded by the United States. Nearly all the players were still in college. Yet against all odds, they had advanced to the medal round and a showdown with the Soviet Union. Silver, right? It was a silver... For silver on that That's one. That's right. This, yeah. was, this was the, uh, the round right before the gold. Compared to the American amateurs, the Soviet team was a murder's row of seasoned professionals and stars in the making. Their lineup boasted top-shelf talent in wingers, excuse me if I don't pronounce this correctly, Boris Mikhailov, Valery Karmalov, and they had the world's best goaltender in Vladislav Tretiak. Tretiak. Wasn't that in a movie? I think that was in The Saint. Saint. Yes. Yeah, I remember the that. The Saint. <laughs> like most Russian teams, the 1980s squad had a habit of scoring early and often, overwhelming opponents with their skating and surgical puck handling. In 20 years, the United States had managed to beat the Soviets only once when they had pulled off an upset win in the 1960 Olympics. Since then, the red jersey juggernaut had won gold in four straight winter games. Only two years earlier... Coach Brooks' U.S. team had received a 10-3 drubbing by the Soviets during an exhibition match at Ouch. Madison Square Garden. Quote, it was hard to even warm up. <laughs> U.S. winger John Harrington later told author Wayne Coffey, we weren't just playing when the game started. We were watching them play, and by the time we felt like we belonged on the ice with them, it was 8-0. to zero. <laughs> End quote. The New York Times later wrote that the Americans appeared disorganized and outclassed during the defeat. But Brooks took the route in stride. He said, sometimes a good kicking is good for the quality athlete and the quality team. I love that, Herb. 
If anyone in hockey knew the value of a good kicking, it was Herb Brooks, the former Olympian. He was the last man cut from the 1960 U.S. squad. Brooks was notorious for his demanding and often ruthless coaching style. That's a big part if you watch... Oh, the movie. If you watch the movie, the the Disney version, Miracle. What's what's on the front of your jersey? What's on the front, man? (laughs) What's on the front, kid? That's what I'd say. (laughs) I love it. Oh, Who did it? Who did it? Our man, Kurt Russell. Kurt, if you listen to this, we've got to have you on. Please come on our show. I'm dude, sorry. That, that was dude. shameless. Dig that dude. I love him. Dude. He's great. I love him. He gave you some advice. One. He did. Him, right? I, man, I got a chance to meet him on the set of Deepwater. Yeah. We, we went out there to hang out with, with Mark and, and Pete, and I didn't really even know he was out there. Man, it's late. God, dog. And... Uh, we were just kind of messing around, and, and Pete's like, hey, come in. I want to sh- show you something. And we're walking into one of the trailers in the back set, and we walk in, and he's still in, in costume and burned up, looking and everything yeah. like that. I walk around that corner, and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, every, every, every character he's played just flashed right through my head. And, I mean, I don't know how many times we've done, you know, Jack uh, Burton, Snake, but, uh, I mean, just kind of wide up, and I... This is the first time, well, with Will, too, because yeah. I'm a big Will Smith fan. So I, those those two. And I don't geek out. I'm like, oh, yeah, this, that, and the other. But I was like, sir, it's really good to meet you. And I was going to bail right after that. And he, he goes, how you doing? He goes, I heard a lot about you. I was like, well, you know, hope you know, pretty good. And I kept trying to leave. <laughs> yeah. I, for whatever reason. <laughs> I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. I, get, something stupid. I totally probably could screw that up. If I, you know, he's probably like, what's this problem? I was yeah. afraid to hang out with him and got yeah. the hell out of there. I was just, man. <laughs> and he sat me down and, and he actually, he's like, how you doing with all this? And started asking me questions and giving me lessons on just being in the public eye and, and what to take and what to laugh off. Dude, you got mentored by Snake. Listen, hey, man, he kind of tractor you. beam sucked me right in, man. Oh. Melanie was there. I was, I was like, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't do that. I was just kidding. Oh, I love <laughs> it. I love it. Then, yeah, I should tell it like, yeah, then he was wanting me to leave. I was like, well, you know, now that I'm here, I, I, <laughs> let's just crack one of these beers. That we, uh, we had opened up a beer, man, and just kind of gave me the... And it got to one of them deals where I wouldn't even listen to him as it was it was Kurt Russell, man. I kind of you know how it works. Oh, the next one of them guys that like a father that starts teaching you stuff. When you yes, get older, sir. you recognize it right away. I just shut my mouth and did yes, what sir. you're supposed to do. Yes, sir. Yes, yes sir. sir. Roger yes, that. Sir. I, and walked out of there, man, just grinning like a shit eating possum. I, I thought it was it. great. I love it. All right. All right. So if yeah, if you don't know what Herb Brooks looks like right now, mentally picture swap in Kurt Russell. Here we go. <laughs> He was notorious for his demanding and often ruthless coaching style. After whittling his Olympic team down to its final roster in 1979, he has stretched the players' bodies to the limit with a battery of practice matches and lung-busting skating marathons. He had a particular penchant for wind sprints, which the players endured so often they nicknamed them Herbies. Great name for those. Herbie. Herbies. Herbies. Brooks's methods were often brutal, but they also proved effective. The team that met the Soviets on February 22nd was in peak physical condition, and they had learned to play in an elegant Russian-inspired style that emphasized possession and crisp passing along with crunching body checks. Before the Americans entered the rink, Brooks addressed them in the locker room. You were born to be a player, he said. You were born to be here. This moment is yours. Shortly after 5 p.m., the puck dropped in front of 8,500 flag-waving spectators in Lake Placid's Olympic Center. 
The Soviets started the game strong, buzzing through the American defensive zone and leveling several shots at goaltender Jim Craig's net. After nine minutes, winger Vladimir Krutov deflected the puck into the goal and gave the Russians a 1-0 lead. The Americans answered only five minutes later when Minnesota native Buzz Snyder scored with a stunning 40-foot slap shot. 40 feet. The Soviets later restored their advantage through Sergei Makarov, and Craig was forced to make several saves as the clock wound down. The Russians looked set to head into the break with the lead, but with only a second left in the first period, U.S. center Mark Johnson pounced on the rebound, drove the puck past Krediak, and the match stood leveled at 2-2. Two two. I've never, ever experienced that kind of emotion and the kind of adrenaline rush that I felt in the room after the first period, forward Eric Strobel later told Wayne Coffey. It was like your skates weren't even touching the ground. The score unnerved Soviet coach Viktor Tikhonov, who made the rash decision to pull world-renowned Trediak and replace him with Vladimir Mushkin in goal. His team came out in the second period looking for blood. They reclaimed their advantage after a shot from Alexander Matslev rang off the post and into the American net. The Soviets besieged Craig's goal for the next several minutes, forcing him into a flurry of sparkling saves. By the time the period ended, the Russians held a 3-2 lead. They had outshot the Americans by a total of 30-10. Oh, crazy. 30-10. Crazy. A nervous silence descended on the arena as the third and final period began. Time was slipping away, and it felt like an eternity since the Americans had last threatened Michigan's goal. Relief came after eight minutes when Mark Johnson caught up to a loose puck, blasted it between the pipes for his second goal of the night. Only a minute and a half later, team captain Mike Rizzioni came off the bench and immediately hammered a 25-foot shot past Michigan to make it 4-3. to three. The stadium roared back to life. Now we have Bedlam, ABC television announcer Al Michaels yelled into his microphone. The U.S. team had their first lead of the night, but they were still 10 agonizing minutes left to play. Russians began skating and passing with renewed urgency, dancing past the hard-checked Americans and firing shot after shot at Craig's goal. Play your game, Brooks yelled as his players defended for their lives. To come back to center ice. 38, 37 seconds left in the game. Petrov with it. The Americans on top, four to three. Long shot. Craig able to get a piece of it to sweep it away. 28 seconds. The crowd going insane. Carlemont. Shooting it into the American end again. Morrow is back there. Now Johnson, 19 seconds. Johnson over to Ramsey. Will you let him off? Get checked by Ramsey. McClanahan is there. The puck is still loose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Are you kidding me, dude? <laughs> That's awesome. Are you kidding? Like, I wanted to stand up right now. I saw Marcus was getting out of his chair. I saw you smiling the whole time. Bro, you cannot beat that at all, dude. You cannot beat that. I mean, that's America. That's the underdog. Well, listen, I think that that was about as good a lead up as we have ever done for one of our guests. So, mm -hmm. I, I, you know. Let's, wait, wait. Let's just say a little bit about what happened to him after the game right there, just so we can understand. Oh, good point. He went on to play a professional career with, uh, he was in Atlanta with the Bruins. He also played for the Minnesota North Stars. After that, he worked for a, a couple companies, very successful salesman with Vela a company called Velasis and Hattrick Group. But 
Following that and currently, he's with Gold Medal Strategies, which is a, which is a Boston area-based promotions and marketing firm. And he is a he's a motivational speaker, renowned speaker. Yeah, um, it says he has inspired, instructed, and provided strategic and winning direction for employees and associates for more than three hundred organizations. That's big time, man. Big time. What do you say, gents? Let's get him on. Yeah, let's do it. Oh, oh say. USA! 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 And don't give me those looks, you two. You know every time I we get that on, I have to bring it out. It's in me. It's it's percolating in every every orifice in my body and every proton and electron in my whole existence, man. Mm-hmm. And and today, listen, the where <laughs> I first learned that, where I first really felt it come out of me, is embodied in the man that is on with us right now. No! Do you feel me, brother? Do you feel me? I got it. Right. I feel you, man. From there, I, I got think you. we're all feeling it. It's guys like us, the the line that we walk, the the patch on the arm is just not a patch on the arm, right? There are guys out there who motivate us to do that, just to to step on the line and do the job we do. Probably, I mean, that's that's a nightmare, right? But if you got somebody who shows you what how prideful it is to be an American and what that means. I'm honored to have him on here, too. So let's bring him on. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the one, the only, Jimmy Craig. Sir, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. Great, great uh, intro there. It was really inspiring. Well, it's either inspiring or I'm nuts. That's usually the two things I get from people, but... (laughs) It's literally like this all the time, sir. Seriously, earlier when we were trying to explain to you how this goes down, we have to tone him back just so you can get a kind of a general idea of what's about to happen here. But here we go, brother. (laughs) All right. All right. I think think you guys probably know that um, probably one of the greatest things you can have is, and, and I remember clearly, is when you... When you walk into a locker room and all of a sudden you have a jersey hanging up and that jersey has three letters USA in the front. And um, when you're lucky enough, you get to put, to put your name in the back and they kind of assign you a number, which is almost like a, you know, a, a position and a job and a responsibility. But I'll tell you, I remember the first time I ever got a chance to wear that sweater. It was pretty, pretty exciting. Oh, my God. I mean, I'd I'd come right out of it. I'd, I'd still have mine on. Man, that's always anything growing up when we played baseball, so whatever it was as kids. When you saw the team walk by that had USA on it, you're like, oh, man. Man, how do you get on that, right? Because you don't even know what they did. Just knew they were a team that represented this country, man. They must have been really good. Right? They must like, be really oh, good. God, man, these people are great at whatever All they right. do. I don't even know what it is. But before we get sick, sucked too far into that, sir, we've got to start with what we call the Mad Minute. So we're going to hit you with some great questions to loosen up, to stretch out, to get the hammies warm, and have some fun doing it. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, Marcus, fire away. High school mascot. Tiger. That's a good one, man. You can't go yep. wrong with a tiger, <laughs> dude. All right, wizard, go. What was the last book you read uh, that you really enjoyed? Uh, let's see. I could say Lone Survivor, but that would be kind of corny, right? I know that guy. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> a good story. <laughs> the Power of Habit. Oh, I like that one. Not familiar. What, what's that great. about? Other than power of habit. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
it's basically tells you if you do something long enough, it becomes a habit, good, bad, or indifferent. It's almost like influences. In your life, there's either positive, negative influences. So I got a cool. question. How long is the amount of time it takes to create a habit? Is is the difference to break one? I guess it depends on the habit, yeah, right? Yeah, it's about the Interesting same. Question. It's like three weeks. Yeah, two, three weeks. That's what I thought. Man, you want to get rid of something, just knuckled up for yep. three weeks, you're good to go. Well, remember, there's also a level of behavioral change that has on a deep root, deeper-rooted psychological level. So, you know, if you're talking extreme changes in who you are and all those things, I mean, it, it can... Any, the, the estimates are from six months to three years. Yeah, but it's not. It's not really. It's not really that. It's 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 identifying that it's a habit. You know, absolutely. Uh, hmm. It's not a discipline. Well, we can do a whole show on oh, that. A whole show. Yeah, on yeah, that. Right, You're coming minute. back yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. All right, all right what was your first car? It was a. I still have it. It's a 320i BMW. Are you kidding me? That's awesome. Huh. Is that the two door? Yeah. 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 With the gold nice. pinstripe. Right Wizard. All right, if you could go back in history and spend a week with any one person, who would it be? My father. Ah, oh, that's cool. That's I, was, cool. I was lucky enough to have him be my best man at my wedding, and my son got married last year, and I was his best man. And, you know, it's really funny, is, and you, you guys know this better than anybody, but when, you know, I always tell people there's no loyalty in leadership, and what happens is when you're a father and you have a son, you have to be their father, not their friend. But when they get older, you, they, can, you, they can become your friends. And uh, it's nice when that transitions. And um, so, yeah, I'd like to go back. My father said that same thing yeah. to me. He goes, I'm not your fr- I-, I can't be your friend. I'm your father. You're the only two I can't friend. be a friend to. And he was great to all my, all, all my boys on my crew. Loved hanging out with him. And it's so true. As you got, as when I became a man, is actually when everything kind of leveled out with us. Yeah, for me, the yeah. big pivotal moment is when I got my trident and I and I gave my first trident to my dad and I said, "Dad, this is for all the support you gave me for all the years." And and it was in that moment that he, you know, it, you made that transition where his that mutual respect kind of was established. Really cool moment. Yeah, yeah, you know what I love about the seals is um you realize that the accomplishments that you make are not individual, they're collective. But not only that, it's through other people's sacrifice. And, the, and you seem to seize the opportunity. So I've always felt the connection that the reason we are where we are and we do what we do is because we took advantage of other people's sacrifice. Amen. Absolutely. Uh-huh. How did it... I never knew I was special until I joined the Navy. And, and, and they told me I was. It's special forces right across the deal there. <laughs> All right, fire away, Marcus. Last Mad Men question. Favorite superhero? I need to know that one. Batman. Oh, right Jimmy's a Batman yep. guy. I uh-huh. love it. I love it. Just so yeah, you know. Because you... I'm one of eight and my uh, three younger brothers. You know, I have four brothers. Three brothers and four sisters, and uh, and you got the Justice I was League. The sixth one, Bond, and my brother Kevin was seven, and Danny was eight. So I was Batman, Danny was Robin, and Kevin was the Joker. So we were able to entertain ourselves. <laughs> you know, that's awesome. Perfect. Oh God, that's hey, awesome. Let me, let me hit him with one more question. Right. I want to. I want to hear a bucket list item that you still that you still have oh. outstanding. Um, I, I want to go on a safari awesome. with my wife. 
very cool. I can lay out the best places to go, brother, man, in South <laughs> Africa. I mean, those things are. You spent a ton of time. Oh, over man, there yeah, hunt, I, right? right, yeah, I hunted yeah. for right when I got out. That's what I did. All right, five or so years, man. I got, I can hook you up with that. Awesome. All right, so that's our mad ten minutes, as everybody it's kind of points out to us. But the reason we're here, sir, is for one main reason: is our listeners come to our podcast religiously and and are devoted followers because they're here searching for some type of spark, some type of story that will ignite something inside them so they can go out and have their greatest never quit moment so they can forge a never quit mindset and build a team so they can experience life like our guests have. So without further ado, sir, could you please share with our incredible fans, our incredible listeners, your greatest never quit story or stories? Well, it probably hasn't happened yet because in life, you know, you have to reinvent yourself so many different times. And, um, you know, see, I, I always think um, you never quit starts with a dream. So you you have to have enough courage to dream that you're going to do something. And I, I think there's a big difference between dreamers and dreams because a dreamer just wants somebody else to do it. But when you're actually dreaming of doing something. Uh, so I think the first time with me is, you know, I had three dreams when I was a young boy that I was going to get a full scholarship to college, I was going to become an Olympic athlete, and I was going to play in the National Hockey League. And all those dreams came true because I told people what they were, and they helped me by either holding me accountable or whatever. But along the way, there, there was a lot of times that you didn't think that was possible. And I remember the first time when I was in high school, I was five foot three and I weighed 130 pounds going into my senior year in high school. Mm-hmm. And nobody believed in that dream that I had that I was going to be a full scholarship college hockey player. But, you know, in life, you get mentors. And, you know, these people realize that you, you don't win with talent, you win with people. And, you great coaches and great mentors see what's inside people and they have the ability to inspire them and pull that greatness out of them. Amen. And, um, I, and what was really funny is here I am five foot three. I go to Boston college because I was from new England and Irish Catholic. And I just remember the coach saying to me, you know, you're a, you're a fine young man, but you should stick close to home. <laughs> and then I went to <laughs> I went to a Division two school, another uh, Catholic school, and St. Angelo's. And the coach there says, "You know, you're a really nice young man. You should stick close to home." <laughs> and um, then I ran into this guy, who his name was uh, Neil Higgins. He was an all-American goalie that tried to play professionally out of Boston College, and he got his first coaching job. And he had seen me play, and he said, listen, Jimmy, I'd like you to come. But the school he wanted me to go to was a community college in a very rural area that, you know, didn't have hockey. And I remember that, you know, I might have thought I was better than that school. And he he told me something that I'll never forget. He said to me, I know exactly what you want, and I know how to help you. So if you can make a commitment to the unknown, I'm going to help you get there. 
but if you don't think this is the best opportunity you've ever had in your life, I don't want you to come. Wow. And so I went. I grew seven inches in one year. We won a national junior college championship. And then I was recruited by Boston University and offered a full scholarship. But the fun part was the biggest rival that Boston University has is Boston College. Right. Mm. And I personally got to play against them 14 times. We won 14 times. One was the <laughs> national <That's awesome>. champions. <laughs> Unbelievable. The was, no, the best part was after every game, we would go through the line and shake hands. And that coach who told me he was a nice young man that should stick close to home was still there. And the coach who was at the other school came down to be the associate head coach there. So for 14 times, I got to walk through their line and shake their hands and said to him, thank God I wasn't good enough to go to your school. Awesome. <laughs> that is and awesome. I stayed close to home. <laughs> but you, you, know what's, you know what's really interesting is, um, you know, I, I always love the terminology winning underdog. Yes. And I think what the listeners really have to understand is that in your life, you have two choices. You can be the victim or the victor. It's just your choice. It's an attitude. And the winning underdog part, is, it's just, it, 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 you know, you guys uh, say the only easy day was yesterday, or you got to have a chip on your shoulder. Well, a winning underdog just refuses to lose, and failure isn't an option, just like you guys always say. So I, I really think that what people misinterpret is life is difficult, and you're going to be challenged. And I could give you 10 more examples that where I was challenged, where I could have made the choice of being the victim, but I, I chose not to. Wow. Hmm. What I, what it's really interesting is, is, you know, that, the way your mentor at that JUCO got to you and what he said and how come you were able to put faith in him? What was it about the way he made the connection with you? Because I think with a lot of people, there's a lot of reluctance out there nowadays that's bred into our society. It's bred into uh, our, you know, our people trying to pull one over on us. So they're, they're not as apt. And, you know, in the speaking, and I work with a lot of young kids and do similar things in terms mm. of mentoring, there's kind of like a, a barrier of acceptance. So for you, what was the thing that you saw in this man to want to put, go all in for him, Jimmy? Well, you know, um, when I was a young, young boy, my mother told me something that always stuck with me. And her comment was, you can always recover from the truth. Hmm. And so when like you really that. look at things and you, you, you see what it is, you can tell if somebody really cares. You can't mentor someone that doesn't care. Huh. You know, somebody can ask you to, but you can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped. It's just at not all. possible. At all. And I, I, I just felt as though that, you know, I... You know, in my generation, fear drove us, right? And I think the, what we forget about uh, the young kids today is success can be your biggest enemy. And, you know, when I was growing up, we didn't have a lot. And so failure was something people were used to, so you kept trying and trying. 
But when you're expected to win and you're expected to do well, the kids today, that, that's an awful lot of pressure. And people who haven't been in that situation of the person who is expected to do well and, you know, bred to be well or came from a family that does well, those pressures are just as bad and just as overwhelming as somebody who comes from nothing. Hmm. Interesting. I, mm-hmm. I, I agree for sure. Sound like pain. Pain is relative to the person going through it. Absolutely, it's still pain, right? Right, right. just like right. that pressure is, yeah. and, and it's all based on the person. All right. Once you can you and and I'd be remiss if I didn't try and lead the direction of this towards obviously <laughs> being on the United States Olympic hockey team. Because and but can and staying in line with your never quit story. And being recognized, what was the next stage for you and your growth, not only as a player, but also as a a member of a team that was challenging? So as you guys were selected and came together in the various egos, what was going through your mind and all that? Well, it's kind of interesting. I remember the first time I went to Boston University. You know, you don't go to Boston University out of a community college. It just doesn't happen. You know, you're you're a really uh, highly touted Canadian who's played juniors, or you've gone to a very private prep school. So I remember the first time I went to Boston University, and the equipment guy, you know, I went down to get equipment. He says, he didn't even know my name. And then the guys... <laughs> on the team would say, you know, where, where, where is, where prep school is Massasoit, you know, and had never heard of it. And then they'd say, what part of Canada is Massasoit? And it's like, no, 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 it's a two-year community college, you know. Um, so, so I really think what really happens and people forget, it's passion. Yeah. I think so many people drive the passion out of their kids before they even know what passion is. And so I I think the biggest part is, you know, I say this all the time. When I'm out and speaking in front of big business groups, I said, you need to make your team every year. And that attitude is you should be okay with that. See, in sport, they draft, they trade, they they try to have somebody take your job all the time. But the only thing you have to do is do your job better than the other guy. And and that's competition. And and so I think what I really enjoyed is I love to compete. It told me a little something about myself. You know, when I was nervous, it was probably because I didn't prepare properly. You know, Uh, and so I don't know if this is one of your uh, sayings or not, but I always say as long as I'm prepared, I expect to win. Absolutely. And, you know. And, and a guy told me, asked me one time when I was playing, he goes, you know, when you were playing the Russian, you, you were afraid to lose. I was never afraid of losing. I never thought of losing. And, and I think what you guys know probably better than anything else, you have to be part of something bigger than yourself. Amen to you that. Know, you, you, you have to learn that you need to win collectively, not individually. Great teams always beat great individuals. Well, that was kind of in in everything that I have read or watched or done research on or understand with the Olympic team. That was the greatest hurdle for you guys is how do you overcome that and begin to work together? Can you describe that process 
on, on how Coach Brooks forced that or how you guys forced it I get it that question a lot, too. How do you become a team? Right. All the time, right? Especially yeah. with a bunch of alphas. If you got a bunch of strong heads running around and you want to throw, mm-hmm. a lot of people think like, "Oh, we have all the best players in the world. They're right here. We're gonna put them together. They're gonna be a great team." Man, that's, uh-uh. that's not how that works. Well, you know, all-star teams fail because they fail to play within a system. So you you can't have somebody that doesn't understand what the rules are. Our coach had a great line. I asked Coach Brooks one time. I said, "Herbie, how come you don't have a lot of rules?" And he said, "Jimmy, because the best players break them." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I love that. Write that down. Right that down. is awesome. I'm still on that one, putting the old mental Rolodex. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, what What happens is you you have to have goals. You are what your goals are. And and so what ha- you have to do is you have to inspire people. And, um, you know, I was at a talk one time, and they watched the movie Miracle, and there's a part in the movie Miracle where our team skates over and over and over again. And this gal from GE who ran a couple divisions said, Jimmy, I have two questions for you. One is, why did it take your team so long to follow what the coach wanted? And the second question was, um, when did you guys get it? And so I said, before I can answer those questions, I have to ask you one. I said, who do you think our coach was punishing? And she said, the players. And I said, no, our assistant coach. He, he was becoming too friendly. He, he, was, he, he can't, he can't, you know, there's no loyalty in leadership. He's in a leadership role. He has to, hmm. he has to lead this thing. So he, he couldn't blow the whistle. He didn't like that part, so he was making him stronger and better in a leadership role. He was developing not just his players, but also his coaches. And then she said to me, you know, and I said, follow our coach. I said, we didn't follow him. We believed him. Yeah. And so you can't go risk your life just because – it's a cool thing to do and there's a high or there's an, you know, it's exciting or whatever the hell it is. You do it because you believe in the men or the women that are part of your team and you, you accept the fact that you've been put in this position because the mission is that important. Absolutely. So you realize, you realize this is bigger than yourself. This is something bigger than yourself. And you accept that responsibility. What made Coach Brooks so believable? Well, he had played. You know, he had failed. He was the last player cut in 1960. He went on and he played in two different Olympic games. I mean, I'm about done with a book called We Win, which really explains why what we did was not a miracle and all the preparation that Herb Brooks went into. He studied the Russians they were doing overspeed and disruption training. They weren't only doing it physically and mentally. I don't know if you guys ever tried that espresso bike out now versus the Peloton, right? Yeah. The espresso bike makes you steer it, makes you steer it, take a look at it. It gives you a ghost. You have to compete against yourself. It's, you know, it's everything that, that a competitor needs. It isn't about singing, standing up, dancing, and, and having a good time. You know, work, work, work is hard. Life is hard. Well, Being we, the best is hard. We, we talk about that all the time. You know, you always, 
you go out and people ask us, you know, what makes Navy SEALs so great? Why can you go do the missions that you're asked to do? Why, you know, that nobody else wants to do? And the answer is true because we put the time, the effort, the pain in to perform those basics as close to perfection. And when called upon to do it, we have such a willingness to sacrifice for each other in order to gain the respect of one another that we're able to accomplish what seem like overwhelming things to the average person. Uh, it's repetitive motion. I mean, what we repeat, start, go through it, hit our target, start from the beginning, and over and over again with each Think other. Small. And, and, exactly. Think and then small. D- just keep moving yeah. through that to where the, the it's, like a, it's like a dance, man. It's like we're, you're dealing with one body right there. A whole bunch of guys have come together, and they literally move like one mm. Uh, one person through room through everything we train for over and over again and that that's what happens if you don't have if you're not just special and you just can just knock that out of the park man you can be trained tactically to overwhelm anybody absolutely i I think marcus what you're talking Mm -hmm. about though is you you have to have the people you have to recruit the people with the right character right the biggest disappointment anybody i could imagine being part of your team would be is you know I've got children, and you can yell at them, you can do anything you want, but if you say, I'm disappointed, that's that's a killer. Oh, man, that, right? that crushed you right there, especially with somebody that you look to for, for guidance and, and, right. and everything. Man, so that's a- if one of your SEALs looks at you and says, I'm disappointed, man, that's a, that, that's nothing worse than that, right? Nothing. That or getting taken over the berm and having the snot beat out of you. That's that's pretty bad, Jimmy. I'm telling you from experience, that one sucks, too. Get some Milvan counseling. I'd rather talk to you real quick. He would do that to me, too, man. He he would give me the disappointed thing. I'd be like, hey, man, I'd rather take an ass whooping. I've been at Hell Week. I've been there. I've seen the guys in the tank underneath as they're watching you. I've seen the guys acting like they're lifting the logs. You know, you can tell. You know, you know the ones that are going to make it or not. I mean, you look at it now, you, you, you know, I, I have a whole thing in my book called Managing Through Ego and Conflict, right? Awesome. You know what ego is? What is ego it? swagger. Conflict is change. All you have to do is manage it. You want ego and conflict, but you want to be able to manage it. So great teams have a lot of swagger. So that means there's a lot of ego. There's a lot of conflict because it's never good enough. Everybody's trying to do it a little better, right? Sure. But when it comes time, when it comes time to play, every whether you like somebody or not, you got to respect them, right? Uh, I it's don't think the, they, I don't think egos, respect. I don't think respect is a given, though. You have to earn it. You, you got to no, earn it. For if you sure. don't respect someone, it's a problem. And a, sure. you know, two words that are interesting for me, right? Two words, right? A lot of people say issues, and I say obstacles. See. Issues are problems. Obstacles can be overcome. For sure. Right? If you're laying there and you've got to crawl for seven miles and all your buddies have been shot down, right, and you think of all the issues that you have to deal with, it might overwhelm you. Sure. But yeah, if you start knocking down the obstacles, before you know it, there's a solution, right? Sometimes you have to believe and you have to use your instincts, right? And you have to do something something else that makes you different than everybody else, right? Yes, sir. Right? 
So you're put on this earth to do certain things, and sometimes we're just a vehicle. We don't know why. Of course. That's a very profound concept, mm-hmm. that, and I've, I've heard your, a few other interviews where you, you bring that point up. I, let, let, let's, I, I've got a, a quick story to get to a point and ask you a question about something that's beyond that, that takes you into that inspirational space of a particular time and moment and a trigger. So I I went to one of those ridiculous expensive prep schools you talked to. I did a postgraduate year and, and there was a kid that was there who's from Montclair, New Jersey. His name is Brian Lonsinger, whose entire life changed the day he watched you guys win. He was a football player prior to that. Watching after the Olympics, he told his father, I want to play hockey. They went out. He started skating. He became a hockey player. He got a full scholarship to go to Choate. From Choate, he went to Harvard. The first kid in his entire family to go to college, he goes to Harvard. He becomes the captain of the Harvey hockey team. He wins a national championship, and he gets a tryout with the Rangers. All because of that moment of what you guys did for the rest of us. Now that burden is profound. Does it weigh on you anymore? Or do you, you kind of take like, cause I hear you saying, man, we are born unto greatness. We just have to figure it out. And whatever that inspiration might be, it seems now, Jimmy, you're a guide for people towards that. Do you appreciate that responsibility? Do you like it? Or is it something that kind of weighs you down? Well, everybody needs mentors. You know, I think the biggest thing in my lifetime, if somebody didn't take the time to have an interest in me and mentor me, then who knows where I would have went, how I would have got. And, 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 and so I, 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 I don't go so far as to say it's a responsibility. And I don't go so far as to say it's an obligation. But for me, it, it's, it's an appreciation for everybody's got pioneers. You know, uh, what I hate is when I hear professional athletes who are no longer playing get upset because the ones today are making more money. Well, they were complaining when the ones before them helped them make more money. And so <laughs> now, w- w- whether it's you and they treat you better as a SEAL or they give you better equipment or they give you better tools to do your job, those are all parts from people finding out through trial and error and what needed to be done. And, and so I look at it this way, you know, whether it's the, the young uh, goalie that had cancer that I keep in touch with through the text and, and just cheer him up or what, I mean, there's so many things every single day that we do. And so if, if I can be that one positive moment, or if I could be that one inspiration that helps someone decide to get off that fence on the right side being influenced versus the wrong side of being influenced, then it's great. It's a great day. Awesome. How, how have mm-hmm. the, did the experience sure. shape the friendships for the rest of your life with those other men? Do you guy or did you remain close? Did you lean on each other as, as pro careers came and went or pro careers didn't happen, guys went out and sold insurance or whatever it might have. Did you guys stay connected over the years? Well, first is, you know, that, that's a, that was a chapter in our lives. 
I, I think what people forget is you might write a great chapter in your life, but after a while, people don't want to keep having read the same thing or hear the same story, right? And, and so you need to create different chapters of your life. All the guys on our team did that. The moment that we were together and what we will accomplish collectively is is what our legacy is. That's that's really cool. The friendships that we had, the commitments, the work, the hard work. You know, Herb Brooks told us something that nobody he said nobody has ever worked hard enough to beat the Russians. We will. Nobody has ever challenged them at their strengths. We will. And so when you are part of something that special, you know, you, you win something nobody thinks you can, and on that journey there, you realize that you can't do it by yourself. You have to have everybody do their job, right? So in the movie, Brooke says, player game, player game. He said, do your job. I always tell people when something is overwhelming, you've got to, you've got to compartmentalize it. You've got to make it something that you're able to handle emotionally, physically, whatever it is. So for me, when we played the Russians, I just thought playing the Russians would be equivalent to play three games against any other team. One period against them would be like playing a game against someone else. So I broke it into three games of four or five-minute periods. It was, cool. it was something that I could handle. And, and I think when our guys – and the collectiveness that we have, we're, we're always friends. We're always there. But we've gone on, and, and we've, we've started other chapters of our lives. Very cool. Very cool. Hey, uh, let me – I want to kind of go a little bit deeper into that And in as far as um, – I want to ask about intimidation. At least in the movie and what we've read, you know, there was the element of – you were playing professionals. These guys were legendary, you know, players. And when you stepped on that ice, was that intimidating, I assume – it had to be. If so, how did the team go about overcoming, overcoming that? Or what was the team's mindset, would you say, when you, you know, stepped on that ice? Well, first, you, you have an objective and a goal. You're representing your country, and you're trying to win a gold medal in your own, mm -hmm. your that's own heavy. country. That's heavy right so there. That, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool, right? Absolutely. And then you realize, instead of getting all flustered, is that if you're a forward and you're a center, out of that 60 minutes, you're only going to play about 14. Hmm. So you go out and you concentrate really hard at doing your job. And, you know, and I imagine with you people, it's the same way. You, you, you can't get emotional. You have to be. You have to be strategic. You have to. Be, your your emotions have to be in check. You have to be prepared, and um and and just when you're playing with a great team in the first five minutes, there's really no difference between the two. You can't really tell. Hmm. But as the game goes on, the the difference in talent becomes obvious. And so sometimes hmm. other players have to do a lot more work at their position of their job than others to, to maintain that opportunity. And then if you can hang in there long enough, mm. you can outwill them. Interesting. And then when it starts to get close, all of a sudden it's the ones who want it the most. And sometimes people get so used to winning, they forget how important winning is. Interesting. Uh. Can you expand a little bit more on willpower and help our listeners understand how you generate willpower, how you specifically generated willpower, 
not only in that moment, but in your life and raising your kids as a, as a professional player in college. What did you tap into to build willpower in those moments of opportunity? Well, first, uh, I always ask questions. I always tried to play and compete with people better than I was. I, I enjoyed that tremendously. But then, you know, if you think of a goalie's position, right, he can't or she can't win a game. They can only lose a game. So it, it's different. You can't get excited and run around and hit someone and, and do that. You can only right. do what comes your way. And so I liken the position of goal and sometimes people in their life, you know, it, if anybody remembers the Terminator when he first came into the room, he'd look at that situation and say, there's 10 things that could happen. And then he had cut them down so he could focus on the one that was going to happen, right? So as a goalie, people say, stop the puck. Well, yeah, that's obviously your goal. But the other thing is, is you have to know the strengths and weaknesses of your teammates so that you can utilize those skills to make yours even better. And I, I've not, never been a Navy SEAL, but I can't imagine that's not the tactic and the thoughts that you guys have is understanding what the strengths and the weaknesses are and then putting those people in the right positions to succeed and then you empower them. And once you've empowered them, then they start believing in each other. And after you believe in each other, I always tell people the impossible becomes possible when you believe. Amen. Amen to that. I I love that concept. I I preach Hmm. that just perpetually to people that you have to move into that position of higher belief, right? And and faith in the person that's next to you is going to do their job to the best they can. And I, you know, I, I, it's kind of, I, I love the way you were talking about it in terms of from the goal out perspective. And my collegiate lacrosse coach used to say, hey, you know, we win games from the goal out. And a, a concept of a, a great fortified plan and of defense moves into a more strategic offense and really being able to capitalize on on the other team's weaknesses as well too man that i really like the way you describe that sir all right well the the part that i think is important too that i think people need to understand is you know you don't have to do anything more than what you're capable of but what really kills teams is when you're not doing what you're capable of. And what makes teams special is not only do, do you do what you're capable of, but when called upon, you do even more. Huh. You, are you saying that based on that higher level of belief in your team, your teammates, the overall purpose, i.e. being on the Olympic hockey team, when you're called to arms, so to speak, that passion, that purpose, it actually can elevate your performance threshold. You can go an extra couple notches higher. Well, if you if you got that, if you recruited that right type, you know. But when you really get to that elite, you, they, they they're there. You see it. They have it. You can't describe it. You just know what it is. I think what you're talking about is is you. It's a whole. It's a whole lot of details that you can't necessarily define. It's the conglomeration of all these things that that's what this it is. You sense it, even though you perhaps cannot objectively define the difference in each 
all of these little qualities. I think that's the case. You can tell when someone is on point without actually seeing a full spectrum of their performance. I, I agree for sure. You're, you're spot on with that. One of the interesting, one of the, one of the wild things and one of my biggest heroes in, in sports is, is John Wooden and John Wooden, you know, his pyramid of success as well as the way he is able to identify that it and really maximize the performance thresholds of his players. So he would push that kid, even if they were the seventh man off the bench, he would get the most he could out of that player. Was Herb Brooks like that? But you know what people forget, right? A coach's job is not to identify who's good or bad. A coach's job is to make every player better every day. I dig it. Yeah, I think that's I right it. in line with with what you you know what you were saying. Yeah, I, absolutely. Yeah, and but the the point is is you know the biggest thing, and I'm assuming this because I don't know that, but I would guess that in your line of work as seals, that ha- holding people accountable was probably the biggest code you had. You know, know your job, do your job, right? Held people accountable. It's when you don't hold teammates accountable that other teammates get upset. So accountability isn't always negative. Accountability is just factual. And that's why I keep going back and say there's no loyalty in leadership. But that doesn't mean you don't love people and you're not loyal to them. That means that when you are in that leadership role, which is really hard, and not everybody's meant to be a leader, right? You have to separate what's best for the team versus who you like as an individual, and coaches' jobs are to make every player better. Bill Belichick's a great friend of mine. And, you know, if Tom Brady goes down tomorrow, he, his job is to win. He gets another game plan, pays attention, changes tactics, right? Yep. There's always a way to win. It's just not always the same. Interesting. Well, that's the best part about being on a team. And you, you, have, you have your dream, and then you – you open your eyes, you look in the direction, you find the other people who have the same dream, and you, then you, you hook up with them and you start living your life. And that experience through age gives perspective uh, that is, man, it's just, that's, that's the best part about it because you're in the same field. And tr- follow me on this, see if I, get, I can't get pushed to this together, but they're not afraid to tell the younger guys to get their shit together. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. When, when you're standing there next to your boy, if you're both rookies, you're kind of like, man, you know, hey, you need to do this. Like, hey, rookie, you, man, you know what I'm talking about? You, you just here, got here too. But when you have the, the new guys, right, the one platoon wonders, and then all the way up through the LPO and the chief who's cranking it down, that sure, it's that responsibility to each other. And it gets to the point to where, man, I, you just feel – you go in, you work out every day to make yourself as best as you could possibly be for the guys around you. Amen. Because it's just, I mean, they they expect that. It's that's just like an unwritten rule. And if, same thing with you guys. I mean, with us, man. If, when we come off holiday or whatever, and some of the guys are out of shape in that first run, then you, you, the jokes fly a little bit. Like, hey, man, you just kind of whatever. Look at that gut, or get the little pinch. <laughs> You're out of shape. Next workout, a couple weeks down the road, man. You're done. The jokes are, it's, yeah, it gets rough. So, I mean, it's, we police ourselves because we know how important the job is. Well, it's, it's holding an uncompromised standard. I like that. Great, great description, Wizard. Well, Jimmy, before we sign off here, and, and again, you know, thank you for you know, your incredible contribution to, to what you do for a living and all the help that you're giving so many people out there. 
what can you, what are a few things that you can share that can really kind of ignite the fire in someone's gut that's listening to the show right now that that's struggling to get into the game, that's struggling to get into the fight. They're not sure which direction to travel. What are some few ideas that can light that spark and start the momentum for them to figure out what this never quit mindset is all about within them? I, 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 do two quotes. I like quotes because it makes people think and they interpret it whatever the way they want. So the first one I would say to the audience is either you're creating the future or you're living in the past. And if you're living in the past, that's as good as it's ever going to be, the past. Wow. And then I always tell people is that you focus on the future, but you learn from the past. And so whatever situation you're in is if you decide that you want to take charge and create the future, a new chapter in your life, then you just have to hang around the right people. You have to find the right mentors. I love and it. in life, there's always influencers, but there's good influences and there's bad influences. So you have to choose to hang around people who are going to be a positive influence on you. Great mentor. Yeah. Right, I mean, we, we call it, uh, I call them pillars, right? There's a, for whatever reason, and guys, we really don't talk about this a lot, but for there's, there's men in our life that teach us actually and develop us into the men we're going to become. And it's kind of funny because sometimes you got to walk and be the man you're not to become the man you are. And it's those guys and, and those men in your life that, that help you with that. That's right. I love it. Hey, when I, when I was at that uh, at, at Coronado and they went by and they they have that temperature where they go by, they can tell the people's temperature and stuff like that. That was pretty cool, all that technology. But I still can't believe tying them up, dumping them in that pool, and they're down there watching them, man. That's, I mean, that's, that's, that's a mental toughness that is just so incredible and, and awesome. And, um, you know, um, you know, I, 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 I I was so excited to do this interview because, you know, the, the, I just feel like a, uh, you guys are a band of brothers. And, you know, the thing I miss about playing is what I call the locker room because of that camaraderie of the people holding you accountable or, you know, really, you know, caring. Mm -hmm. And um, you guys, you guys are a special group of guys that I really enjoy and all the things that you guys have done. Well, sir, I, you know, really thank appreciate you. That comment. Yeah, thank you so much. That that felt great to hear coming from, you know, I think a person that all three of us consider was a part of perhaps one of the greatest teams in our nation's history. Whether it was military, athletics, corporate, it doesn't matter. Again, I always center myself in the pride that I feel as American in the victory that you guys gave all of us as a collective team. So. Thank you, sir, for that, and thank you for what you've been doing for the last 30-plus years, and, and just thank you for the knowledge that you shared with our listeners today. It is a tremendous honor to have you on our show, so I appreciate it, sir. All right, guys. Well, it, it was so enjoyable, and I learned a lot from all of you guys, so thanks for your help, too. Absolutely. All right. Yes, sir. Take you. care. God bless you. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. When, when you hear them talk about that space, like fire in the soul, I mean, when you hear them talk about mentors, 
And you hear him talk about a collective from my interpretation, right, of this one event that changed the course of his life, all the lives of the people on that, the lives of people that have gravitated towards that event. You, you start to hear, my gosh, yeah, it was just a little blip in his life. It was just a chapter, and there have been many a different, but man, what a profound chapter. I mean, the depth of, of what he was sharing and the, the certainty with which he shares it, I mean, that's, that's powerful, you know? I love the encapsulation of the whole story in regards to team. From the formation of it through like the, the the metamorphosis into an actual team. And then ultimately I mean everybody likes the happy ending, right? Well the best so it's the the best thing about the Olympics, man, is we get to celebrate in us when our when our guys win, we get to celebrate like we won. But we don't have to go through the pain of learn how to do it. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? Like, He's automatically like, on the team. And we get the spirit. And we, I mean, they won and they were screaming and yelling, so was I. And it was just the movie. You know, when I was a kid, I didn't know what was going on watching it. Everyone else was losing their mind. But that's a great part about the Olympics, man. It doesn't matter what, what, what they're doing. If they got their, our flag on, you're like, oh, hell. Dude, I, I love and that. I, I my girls, the gymnastic girls, man, I, I get fired up when they get on the Because, you know, they train I, right yeah, next to the yeah. house, you man. Told, so you I, talked yeah. about it in the Missy Franklin Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, man, when they get out there and go to work, it, it's man, I get fired up, man. Just, are, that's got to be the coolest feeling, man, throwing Throwing that USA on and going oh, over there bro. and representing the pride you feel yeah. wearing a uniform and be representing something that's bigger than yourself. That's that's huge. Hmm. I, right. I'm just so stoked, man, because you know you have a guy like Jim Craig on. You know he's able to encapsulate his experience on mm-hmm. a grander scale for people to be able to consume to get going in their lives. And and hopefully if you're listening, if you're first show listening, we just can't thank you enough for joining us. If, if you're coming back for more, thank you so much. We really appreciate you. Without you, there's no way we would be able to, uh, you know, have the partnerships that we do. Most importantly, our, our being a part of the Westwood One Podcast Network. Thank you so much, Westwood One, for allowing us to join your team. We're so appreciative of you guys. Now, what we want to do is just thank one of our sponsors, man. And this guy's Whoop. We're so excited to have them a part of us. Whoop is the human performance company that transforms how athletes understand their body and unlocks their inner potential. Designed for the 24-hour performance lifestyle, Whoop has built a system across hardware, analytics, and community used by the most elite athletes in the world to positively change behavior through actionable recommendations. The Whoop Strap 2.0 provides teams and individuals with a continuous and personalized understanding of recovery, strain, and sleep. Studies demonstrate WHOOP can reduce injuries, prevent overtraining, improve performance, and, and improve performance. Join the best athletes in the world and learn more by visiting WHOOP.com. Now, gents, all of us in here recognize the power of monitoring the, the details of our performance, right? I mean, Marcus, we learned about it in 18 Delta. What about heart rate and everything else? Oh, pulse, pulse rate, pulse pressure. It's amazing how far the technology has come back from the day when it was two fingers on the uh, on the and throat, you're all carotid, right, 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 and watching uh, watching the the old wrist there to around the chest, 
And now this, it has all that encompassed because a lot of stuff you couldn't wear while you were asleep or in the water or anything else. So every generation that comes out of that tells you more and, and, and gives more. And thank God for Whoop, man. I just started wearing mine last week, and already uh, the data that it's showing me is incredible. Now, Wizard, you also have some information that you believe is is mm-hmm. pertinent to all performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know what's really cool about these wearable fitness trackers, um, particularly something like the Whoop, which we've been running around here for a little while, is that uh, it takes a lot of that guesswork, the subjective nature, which can, which can be really it, – it runs – directly contrary to being efficient and really getting the most out of your workouts. I mean, it's something that affects pretty much everyone. If you're not able to get objective, you know, define, define data that is going to show you what you're accomplishing when you're working out or even in recovery, which, you know, you can wear the 24 hours when you sleep, then you can't really uh, achieve and maximize your time, your efficiency in your workouts. And I think that's a fantastic advantage that people should be taking advantage of these days with something like the whoop. I'll tell you what, one of my favorite also aspects, and you can find all kinds of information. They had a group of our brothers, Navy seals that did this incredible race. They, they skydived into the ocean, swam a couple miles to the shore and put on plates and did a hundred mile run in under 24 hours. All while, all while wearing the whoop strap, their, their whole experience is online. You can check it out. All right, here you go. Over the holidays, man, visit whoop.com and take advantage of the special annual membership and save 20% off per month off the standard membership. That's 20% per month off the standard membership. And if you drop our pro, pro and if you drop our promo code TNQP, you're gonna get the first month on us. Go to whoop.com. Dot com. All right. Thank you again for showing up. We really a pleasure to have you on. If you're you're back again, we love you. We appreciate you. We hope you took even more than you did the show before away from Jimmy Craig. And 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 we hope you understand that, you know, life is gonna be hard. I mean, that's a, a reoccurring theme with all of our guests, but if you just Put forth the effort. You can find that little bit of gold, right? You can find that little bit of gold that keeps you going, that experience, that drive to recognize that, hey, there is a space down down the road where I will fulfill a goal and then be able to set the next goal and keep going in life with the never quit attitude. And we really appreciate that. So what we like to do uh, at the end of most shows is we like to... We always ask that our listeners, if, you, if you're up for it, to send in your greatest never quit story. Really one that comes for the heart. Or somebody that you truly love and care about, a teammate, send in their story. But we got this, I don't know, what was it, a couple of days ago? Yeah, this came in just a few days ago before we decided to uh, record. And uh, it's, it's heavy. I mean, it, it, well, you're going to hear it. In, in my estimation, this is why... We do this show. So let me start out. This is from Matt. I wrote in last year about my never quit story, but I wanted to write in again. Not so sure you guys can share this on the podcast, but instead I'm writing to say thank you just to you three. I lost another friend to suicide the other day, making it the third friend I've lost within the last month and a half. I've had multiple injuries, 
injuries that have transformed into constant chronic pain, along with the fact that I am seen double since my fifth eye surgery in May didn't work. I have a job that I absolutely hate. And I'm only going because it currently pays the bills and I haven't found another option yet. Long story short, I almost killed myself a month ago. I was tired of all the pain and seeing double, along with just letting the demons from my past take over from all the other setbacks I've encountered in the last several years. I had tried to fight everything off and I'd lost all hope and energy to keep fighting. I remember it was in the early hours of the morning when I couldn't sleep and I was letting the demons sink into my brain. I was laying in bed and my mind was telling me to get up and just go grab my gun and end it all. Quick and easy and the suffering would be done. I remember this happened to be a Wednesday night and I just listened to your podcast that featured Amber Lee Snyder. I thought all of, about all of my issues and told myself it could be worse. It could be much worse. Luckily, I snapped out of it and told myself to quit being a bitch to make it through the next day. The next day, I kept saying, keep taking baby steps. Don't focus on the overwhelming big, big picture. Rather focus on thinking of the positive aspects and make it to the end of the day. That led to making it to the next Wednesday and listening to the new podcast. So every Wednesday, I get my motivation for the week to continue fighting. If I start to struggle again during the week, I would come back and listen to another podcast that really motivated me. Both Goggins episodes normally will do the trick. <laughs> Goggins. Goggins. Granted, I enjoy all of the podcasts. And I really enjoy hearing you all talk, laugh, and go down rabbit holes. Any episode will do. So no matter how bad things have become with working a job that I absolutely hate, friends dying, seeing double for possibly the rest of my life, or just any other curveball life throws at me, I know that I can embrace the suck and stay in the fight. So thank you. For everything that you, Marcus, David, and the wizard do to give hope to others. You all saved my life. So for that, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Matt, you're welcome. Thank you for not killing yourself. Thank you for staying in the fight. And thank you for having the courage to write in. I think, uh, I think at least just speaking for myself and humbled to have played some small role in that. Amen. Um, and it's very inspiring to, to hear about that. And it's an encouragement to, uh, to continue. And really what makes it uh, such an honor to, to work on a project with, with y'all. I just want to give thanks to God, Christ. I want to thank my children and my family, my parents, my family. I want to thank Matt for writing in. I want to thank Jimmy for coming on. I want to thank all the Olympians that have inspired me. But most of all, I want to thank the two of you because what we're doing 
is is affecting people's lives and it's an honor to sit across from you and to share this with you and be a part of this with you so i want to thank you guys yeah brother man you you figured it out and you're on our radar now we know about you so welcome to the team got down the bottom you figured out you're coming back up i get that that pain part too brother and uh the double vision with the eye surgeries man those <laughs> those are brutal aren't they uh, and I, I'm yeah, seeing double. I, I remember all that. It's kind of no depth perception. It's kind of like looking underwater your whole entire life. Rocky had a good line. He's like, hit the one in the middle. Man, if you're seeing double, brother, just start, just push through the middle. You get down on yourself, man. There's plenty of us out there that have been there. And when the wheels fall off or you drag a toe, man, that's you know, that's kind of what we're, we're here for. We're just kind of inspired by each other. So. God bless you, man. Everybody keeps bringing us back on here. I, it's it's unbelievable. Thank you for that. I'm out. Out.